Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Oh, hello. Here we are in parts unknown again. Today we're continuing our wander back through WrestleManias of yesteryear, and this week we've got ourselves a pretty good show over which to fat you. Back in 1996, the Fed found themselves at the Arrowhead Pond, one of those venues that will be forever associated with the Graps game for those of us of a certain vintage. Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler had the call, regrettably. WrestleMania 12 went down on the last day of March in California. There were just six matches on the main card. Imagine that. The whole thing took less time than a modern-day episode of Raw and was built around a 60-minute Ironman match that went... Um, 62 minutes. We'll get to that soon enough, but first, let me introduce my esteemed panel. First, our very own women's champ, the doctor of wrestling, the phenom, Carrie Dunn. Hello. Next, from Sky Sports News, our very own British bulldog, Anton Tolui. Hello there. And finally, a man who I had a ton of respect and admiration for until he told the PU WhatsApp group that he liked Vince McMahon's commentary. He's a star of stage, print and podcasting. It's the boy toy, Carl Anker. What a (laughs) manoeuvre. Welcome, one and all. Let's get stuck into this then. We'll start with the WWF title match. The 60-minute Ironman match between the champion Bret Hart and the challenger Shawn Michaels. A nil-nil draw after an hour of action. Carrie, what were they thinking? I don't know, um, but I loved the Ironman match. So I've said before, this is kind of an era of wrestling where I wasn't actually watching at the time. So I'm going back and I'm pretty much with fresh eyes watching this entire event. And all I could think when I was watching this match was, can you imagine this happening now and then not throwing a beach ball around in the crowd or trying to get some kind of chant over? They're gripped by it. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily brilliant all the way through, but certainly the second half of it is absolutely amazing. Loved it. Pretty brave, Carl, to not have a fall, certainly in the first 10 minutes, which is the staple of these kind of matches usually. So last week I said... I was in reference to Bret Hart's match against Stone Cold, and I said, a year after Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart tore the house down at WrestleMania 12, admittedly I'd not seen the match. I just said they tore the house down because that's what I'd been told had happened. And it's a weird match. Uh, so I, I looked into Iron Man histories in WWE beforehand. This is the third one in WWE history. Um, two previously, both involved Bret Hart, and they both finished 3 2. And this is the only one that finished 1 0, because the one afterwards is uh, Triple H versus The Rock, which ends 6-5, which is a real like bizarre anomaly in Iron Man matches to have only one pinfall and only like three serious attempts where you look like they're going to get a pin. There is a good 25-minute match hiding in this 60-minute Iron Man match. What do you think, Anton? It's a strange concept, I think, because um, Carl mentioned there the Triple H Rock one. 11 falls in an hour is not realistic, and it seems like no falls in an hour is not that realistic either, so it's a, it's a difficult one to get right. Yeah, Iron Man matches, or best two out of three, or any of those kind of matches, quite often annoys me when you see someone, you know, get pinned when it's not a signature move or it's not a move they would usually or a cheap roll up or something like that you're just thinking come on if this wasn't if this match didn't have this stipulation you would kick out and the match would continue so at least this doesn't have that but for me it took it took about 40 minutes to get going really and i i lost it i lost attention and i yeah, it's not, that's me as a modern fan i know i'm pretty sure i know watching matches back then are completely different so i'm i'm looking at it in 2018 night so i feel bad saying that but it didn't captivate me until the end because I know how good these two are and I just didn't, didn't get to see it as much as I'd like. 
So nil-nil right until the end. And then at the 60-minute mark, Gorilla Monsoon comes out and says, we're not going to finish it like that. We need to have a winner. Uh, Sean wins quickly in a couple of minutes. Brett didn't shake Sean's hands or even acknowledge him after the match. Was that kayfabe frustration, Kerry? Or was it a, a glimpse into the uh, legit beef between the pair at the time? I'd like to say it's kayfabe. I suspect it's a little bit of uh, column A, a little bit of column B. And I think, again, saying with, with 2018 eyes, I think it kind of gives it an extra little bit of needle, knowing that they didn't like each other and then seeing that and thinking, oh, that's a little bit uh, on the edge. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know about Brett. I, again, you know, I've talked about him a lot, but he's so kind of wrapped up with you know, how things should be done in the business I'm fairly sure that he would probably shake someone's hand, even if he thought he was a complete dick, unless something else had happened. So I'm thinking probably mostly kayfabe, but in my head I'm going to pretend that it's real-life stuff going on there. In fairness, though, Bret Hart deserves to be annoyed. He's effectively won the match. You know, he hasn't been pinned. He has. He shouldn't have to relinquish his title. That's it. You know, he's screwed over by Gorilla Monsoon, who somehow gets his job back during the programme, which is kind of really <laughs> subtly done as well. I, I've been really annoyed just from the entrances. From the moment Sean comes down the zip wire and then Brett has to walk down... Yeah, down also featuring all, Bret Hart. Yeah, you're going, oh, well, with my 2018 eyes, well, you've clearly just telegraphed who's going to win there. But something that did strike me out is how much cooler Bret Hart looked with the belt. And how less jaded he seemed in 1996. There's a bit just before that when he's uh, there in the huddle and he's eyeing up Sean and he looks at his son and he winks. I'm like, oh, this is why wrestling fans of a certain generation think Bret Hart is amazing. I don't because all I've seen is like post Screwjob, post 97, where it's just he's angry and bitter and wants the last laugh. Whereas there's clearly something in there that I'm going to enjoy as I go backwards in time. Go, oh, yeah, this guy, he seems capable of smiling. I look but forward to that. Sean's entrance, though, on, on the zip wire, it, it made me really sad. Again, it's coming back to the whole Owen Hart thing that's yeah. going to happen a couple of years down the line. Seeing that kind of spectacular entrance, seeing the kind of reaction that he gets. And it does take them ages to get him out of the harness. And that is apparently what Vince didn't like about that kind of spectacular stuff. He said, if we're going to do it, it needs to come off quickly. It needs to be a snap catch, which is obviously uh, what the problem was with um, Owen's accident. So, yeah, that made me really sad. Just back on the legit beef thing, a couple of quotes that, that are interesting here. In the Pro Wrestling Torch news letter covering this WrestleMania, Wade Keller wrote, as Shawn Michaels was celebrating his WWF title victory over Bret Hart in mid-ring, Bret returned to the locker room, grabbed his bags and left the arena without showering or changing clothes. After the show went off the air, the wrestlers were gathering their items to return to the hotel and prepare for the post-WrestleMania party. Some wondered aloud what had happened to Bret. There was no sign of him for the rest of the night. He didn't appear at the party at the Marriott in Anaheim either. Now you can say, well maybe that's a dirt sheet thing but in his book Hitman My Real Life in the Cartoon World of Professional Wrestling Brett said to the match I didn't mind putting Sean over at Wrestlemania 12 but I knew that Sean wasn't the guy to fill my shoes and I was damn sure he wouldn't draw any better than I did now we touched on the relationship that Vince has between these two uh, at this time and in the future but it really seemed to to bother Brett that he wasn't the favourite son and that Sean was I think yes obviously he didn't rate Sean as he was at that time but also it was kind of the way that Sean was behaving uh, in the locker room and just in general he did Brett didn't think of Sean as a company man or someone who could be trusted to be the champion being the champion obviously st- still meant stuff to Brett because obviously he's old school so it's not necessarily about what he does in the ring 
that was that was his problem with him. But Carl, is it is it the frustration is as much with Vince almost as it is with Sean? Like, why can't you see that I'm the guy you build a company around, not this guy who's abusing drugs and doing stuff that he shouldn't be doing? Oh yeah, I, I think there's a really interesting parallel between what happened with CM Punk later down the line as well. I spoke about this before. Vince McMahon's thing is, if you work hard for me, I'll reward you in the way I like to reward you. But also, he very clearly doesn't connect with two or three figures who are basically going, no, I need you to be more openly acknowledged that I'm giving you all of this. I'm giving you my blood, sweat and tears. And in Bret Hart's case, my body, he broke his sternum in the match, which is like, you break your sternum. That's incredibly painful. Um, And yeah, just I've never seen anyone be as indulged as their Shawn Michaels in WWE history. Like throughout that man's entire career, he's indulged in a way that I don't understand why. Because I don't understand what Vince sees in Shawn that would allow him to do it. Like Austin, fine. Austin sold tickets. Hogan helped him dominate the when they went national. I don't understand it with Shawn. He wasn't a huge draw. He was great in ring but i don't think vince ever particularly particularly cares if you're fantastic in ring and like i can't see those two having a like a cross-country road trip and having a good time <laughs> so no, how is this working i'd watch that episode of ride along <laughs> um, but then to, to sort of go slightly against your point you go from wrestlemania 10 where vince kind of rushes off comms to shake um, bret hart's hand at the end of the match where are you going kind of effectively going, well done, you're the guy, you've got us through this event, to two years later where he's got to get the other, this other brash guy who isn't conducting himself like a wrestler. So he can't... So I can completely understand where Brett's coming from and why he's annoyed. However, in this match, I think I see some, one of the best cross-body body I've ever seen at WrestleMania from, from Sean. He, he, I, I think he could do things that others couldn't. And Vince knew that. I don't think it's necessarily this is this is the guy, but this is the guy that can take us to that next step. And that's why I think Vince backed Sean so heavily. And he also had um, the influence over the rest of the clique, didn't he, Andy? He, he could always play the card of, well, I'll go to WCW, which would have been devastating um, for Vince. I wasn't that keen on this match. I don't know if it's just 2018 eyes looking at it, but, but one word answer then, good or bad, Anton? It's fine. I like the ending. So, and I, I, I like the last sort of 20 minutes and... Yeah, it was it was alright. It was fine. I think I think it's overrated. I'd say. And Carl and Carrie are in the good camp. Yeah, I mean, it's a cromulent match. <laughs> that your one word cromulent. Yeah. I mean, you're asking me if I like a Bret Hart match, and usually <laughs> I do. There's a lot of arm bars, and I'm very confused as to why they're both using arm bars when, well, Bret's finish is a sharpshooter, and Sean doesn't have a submission finish. Why are you using arm bars other than just well, we got to fill out sixty minutes. Uh, you can play this match in uh, the 2K14 game. So WWE 2K14 takes you through the WrestleManias. And they noticeably skip from 60 minutes. They jump to 37 minutes. Then you do a bit more. Then they jump to 20 minutes. Then you do a bit more. Then it jumps to zero. Which shows in the 60 minutes, there's maybe only four action points. So at time of recording, we are working under the assumption that Sean is going to be teaming up with Triple H to take on Undertaker and Kane at Crown Jewel in Saudi Arabia. Um... Word around the campfire is that he's getting $2 million to do this. If we, oh, I suppose we can't really leave aside the, the horror that is Saudi Arabia and everything that, that that represents and why they're going there. But if you just look at it in terms of Shawn Michaels returning, 
I'm not going to ask you first, Kerry, because you don't really like Shawn Michaels. Uh, Saudi <laughs> or Saudi Arabia, no. <laughs> Carl, who is a massive fan of Saudi Arabia, um, <laughs> uh, and Shawn Michaels. I'm really, really disappointed that he did so well in and all those promos he cut saying, hey, I really appreciate the one more match thing, but I'm going to work so hard to make sure that doesn't happen. Ted DiBiase was right. Everybody's got a price. This is $2 million. Do you want to see 53-year-old Shawn Michaels do a tag match? No, I don't want to see 53-year-old Shawn Michaels cut a promo, let alone step in the square. But we know he's still good at cutting a promo. We've seen that on Raw recently. Mm -hmm. But that, that promo on Raw just made me want Taker versus Michaels. It actually took Triple H out of the match for Super Show. And, and do you want that in 2018 or what? do you want that 20 years ago? No, I want that 20 years ago. But at the same time, as still Pangaree was like, if you're going to do it, at least do it with Sean. Because it's a much better rivalry between him and Taker. It's a much better, you know, much more engaging kind of than Triple H and Undertaker, which I think is probably the most overrated rivalry in WrestleMania history. And, you know, Kane, who is great but you know he doesn't wrestle anymore don't you have mayor stuff to do as the sign said so you know i think if you're gonna do it have those two which they may well be building up towards a survivor series or rumble or mania or something like that but this is wrestling like of course sean's gonna come back he was never there was always going to be one more match of course there was as soon as he started as soon as he started getting his performance center regularly getting in shape and everybody was thinking wow sean's amazing he was going to get back in the ring. But it, I guess, Carl, part of the problem is it's the thin end of the wedge this, isn't it? Because it's not just one match that he'll be coming back for. As Axel's alluded to there, it'll be WrestleMania matches. It'll be Rumble in the Jungle or whatever they do next, all this kind of stuff. Strangely, if it is more than one match, I can compartmentalise that a little bit better than... Yeah, so he's sure. not just coming for the Saudi dollar kind of thing. Yeah, that makes things less terrible. I don't want to say better. This is still... You're going to undo one of the... I'll, I'll call it the best because Ric Flair came out of retirement and that didn't work out well. The best WWE-style retirement for for just money. And... A, ugh, ugh. Okay, so which, which, which are you more excited about then? Return of Goldberg, what, two years ago? Or... Shawn Michaels which would you rather see in the ring in their 50s because I know which one I'd rather see in the ring in their 50s I'd rather see Goldberg because it would mean that Shawn Michaels hadn't come back and spoiled his legacy I guess though Carrie if we're playing devil's advocate we can say hey this is just what happens as Anton said everybody comes back Mick Foley came back when he said he wasn't going to Terry Funk has retired you know more times than I've had steak and chips um which is, I mean, you probably only about... You work analogies, mate. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I was looking at that bag of Easy Peelers and thinking more times than there are Easy Peelers in that bag, but that was poor too. Um, it's, also, it's also a visual gag yeah, in an audio yeah. medium. But Carrie, mind. what do you think about Shawn Michaels coming out of retirement? <laughs> no, I think you're right in that, yes, it's just what happens in wrestling and no one is ever really fully retired. But on the other hand, it's... The retirement is probably the only really dignified thing Shawn Michaels has ever done. And I kind of had a respect for him for doing that. And, oh, I don't know. I understand why he would come back. I understand why people want to see it. And I understand why the money would be tempting to anybody. I just think it's all an absolute oh, shambles, I guess. Yeah, it's. and I guess it's, you know, finally it's easy for us to say... He shouldn't do it, but we're not the people with a big sack of money being waved under our noses. All right, well, that was a pretty lengthy part one. We'll take a little pause there. When we come back, we'll look at the rest of WrestleMania 12. 
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Parts Unknown. So we've spoken about the title match between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Amazingly, that was the only title match that took place on the card. Uh, the Body Donners had won the vacant tag titles by beating the Godwins on the pre-show. Next, I want to talk about one of the strangest matches in WrestleMania history. It is the Hollywood backlot brawl between Goldust and Rowdy Roddy Piper. Mr. Sports Entertainment, Carl Anker, explain this match, please. Good luck. This is homophobic as all hell. Isn't it, though? Yeah, I was genuinely shocked. Gold, genuinely shocked. Goldust, for reasons, had started copying or, or putting up posters of Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper took particular umbrage at that and went, "I'm going to teach you how to be a real man." And and to decide that Roddy Piper decided the best way to teach him to be less like Goldust and be more like a real man is to knock the seven bells out of him, which is, yeah, that is homophobic. So they started out in the parking lot. Piper had a baseball bat. Goldust was in a gold Cadillac, which got destroyed. Uh, this being the WWF, one guy had to get thrown into a buffet table. While there was a buffet table outside, not entirely sure. And a bin full of shredded paper. Yes, quite. Yeah, just in case. <laughs> yeah. Legal documents. Uh, it's like that bit on Wayne's World too, with the guys uh, with the big glass pane walking yeah. back and across the street and the watermelons and the chickens and stuff. And, and when it happens, you know why. Um, so the homophobia was there. It was also basically a, a homage to the OJ Simpson car chase which was big news in 1996 it wasn't it clips of the oj simpson car <laughs> chase <laughs> two years after the car chase this wrestlemania is two years after the car chase i don't understand why they're making the joke now but vince on commentary says oh that looks familiar because they're actually using footage from the car chase this is like tongue-in-cheek isn't it two people died <laughs> Hey, what are you? This is no. And it goes on throughout the night. This thing. And um, Piper phoned into the commentary team during the Stone Cold Savio Vega match. At the end, which came later in the night, saw Golda stripped to a basque stockings and suspenders. Homophobia, um, touch of racism, little bit of OJ Simpson homage. And and was it like a rib on Dusty, as is, as has been speculated in the past? Ha ha! Look what we've done to your son, kind of thing. I didn't even think of that. But then. Why does WWE make me do this? Putting all that to a side. Um, <laughs> like, if you just watched it in terms of just two men beating each other up in a ridiculous way, it's it's kind of did what it was supposed to do, I suppose. Uh... <laughs> Which is, you got, again, you've got to remember the time. This, is, this isn't this is the time when there were back, loads of backyard brawls and this is... It's a bit too one-sided for me. Right, and so Goldust doesn't get anything back. Yeah, and I mentioned this before. With, he runs um, him over. <laughs> he runs over Roddy Piper. Yeah. 
like it's not Kim, it's Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper is the bizarre no selling. I legitimately bottled myself to cut a promo in the Territorial era. Yeah, well, you see, when Piper goes to get back in into the van, he's just got blood trickling all down his arm, and it's all over the um the door handle. For Piper the, for the van. is a hard bastard, and the way he uses that baseball bat to smash the Cadillac is disturbing. Yeah, it is. You've used the baseball bat to do that before. Like you know how to break bones. And, like, some people look hard, some people are hard. Roddy Piper, you don't want to mess around with the bar fight because you know he's probably bottled someone. Uh, which makes this fight extra uncomfortable for me because when Roddy Piper throws punches, they're not, they don't look whiffy. They don't look soft or for play. When Roddy Piper punches and hits something, the, the appeal about Roddy Piper was he looked real. He always looked dangerous. He always looked as if there was legitimate force behind what he was doing. So the fact that Gold Dust gets barely any offense in, it's just a man in his 30s and 40s beating up. I don't call a teenager, but a guy in his 20s covered in gold paint for reasons that I'm going to teach you how to be a real man. And the whole, I'm going to do something your dad never did for you, which is just really uncomfortable. Um, Now, Doctor, when we were going back through the sort of 30s, 20s WrestleManias and Carl was getting woken to what a terrible wrestler and person John Cena is, I feel like this is happening to a sort of nastier extent with me and Roddy Piper. Like, I knew he was a legend of the business, but he's... A homophobic racist as well is that right or is that the character he was playing or what what how how do we justify his behavior i think again it's another one of those little bit of column a little bit of column b but i think carl's right in that what he does looks so convincing you're never quite sure whether you're watching is real or not and i know that's the whole, whole point of professional wrestling but so he could just be great at it then. he could just be amazing at being a professional wrestler which you know i think he is but I think there's probably also that nasty side to him as well. And this match was just, yeah, it just it just reeked of hate crime to me. And I know that sounds really 2018 and it sounds really kind of politically correct as much as I hate the phrase, but it just, just did. It just seemed nasty in all the worst ways. The fact that Goldust kissing Roddy Piper activated Roddy Piper's, like, hulking up, I can now just walk through your attacks. Maybe for just like, oh, so men kissing activates your no sell special move. Okay. And get, like that gets you so worked up. You can walk through your opponent's punches. Made me feel uncomfortable. Uh, and I, at the time, Piper was the com- the commissioner. He was an authority figure on the show. Mm. So he's, he's not main rusted. He's just going, I'm going to have to beat up this guy because he fancies me. Which, yeah, even in 96, it's, it's not on, is it? Just following up on Carrie's point about Piper... Because he looked so convincing, I think that's why he was loved. Because there wasn't, because it was so cartoony and it was so, this is your good guy and this is what they do. That Piper blurred the lines before Attitude Era and before, you know, the the change in WCW and that kind of thing. So I can completely understand why he was loved in a way. It was probably inexplainable to a lot of people at the time. And and looking now, you're like, well, that's awful. And I completely agree with Matt. I, I watch now thinking, oh, in my head, you were completely different. You were this kind of anti-authority figure that made great jokes and had great comic timing and, you know, beat up the people that does it. Actually, no, you were just just a nasty human being. Yeah, I remember someone saying to me when um, The Shield first got called up and they drew a parallel between Roddy Piper and Dean Ambrose. Not Dean Ambrose as we have him now in The Shield, but Dean Ambrose who was working uh, in CZW and the kind of very odd promos that he did and the kind of 
going crazy with a chainsaw and threatening people with, you know, bits of cutlery and stuff. That kind of slightly unhinged, but there's still something very charismatic and funny about him. And you don't want to laugh, but you still have to because it is entertaining. But there's just something not quite right there. And I think that's quite a good parallel. Um, Look up Dean Ambrose promos from CZW on YouTube. He's off his absolute tree. It's amazing. <laughs> and the one he did um, on Mick Foley outside of WrestleMania oh once as well. Oh, that yeah. one's good Yeah, that's too. brilliant. Mm. And CM Punk, another guy who cited Roddy Piper as one of the reasons he got into wrestling, of course. Well, Roddy Piper is incredibly captivating to look at. He's got this thing that I call body charisma, which is just the way he can move his arm. I'm into yeah, I'll watch, I'll watch you do stuff. And he, he spoke about how when he was coming through the territories, he wanted to be a big deal. And to be a big deal, the leading good guys in the territory area were the Guerreros. So he had to send himself up in opposition to that. So that's where like he has done so many racially charged promos towards Mexican people. Do I believe he hates Mexican people? Possibly. Do I believe he did a lot more outlandish things because he was in? He set himself up in opposition to the Guerrero family. Yes. And can I arrest that in my brain? Maybe. I'm not going to buy uh, the rowdy T-shirt for a while. That's but for sure. Also, in 2018, I think the reason why Piper is in our consciousness is not just because of wrestling, but because he was mainstream. But he was mainstream in, and cast in various things as a voice actor and uh, in and and animations and in. Uh, always sunny in Philadelphia and that kind of thing because people grew up watching this and then when they got older they thought I want to cast Roddy Piper and that's you know so so he was almost probably people of our age and a little bit younger a little bit older sorry when they became creative types when they they wanted to pay homage to him because they inspired him when they were younger so I think it's re- I find him really difficult to talk about because I, it wasn't my generation but there was something there there was something with him that inspired so many people to love him, even though his character was based on hate. Interesting stuff. Let's move on to Stone Cold Steve Austin beating Savio Vega. We mentioned Austin earlier. He'd make his WrestleMania debut here. Uh, Austin at this time was Stone Cold, but not as we know it. Still aligned with Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, carrying the Million Dollar Belt, which played a part in the finish here. Austin cracked Savio on the noggin with it behind the ref's back. Um, Does everybody know the story of how Austin came up with the name Stone Cold? Would anybody like to tell it? Um, he was given a list of characters. He'd seen a documentary on Charles Dharma, the killer, yes. and said, "I want to be like this guy, Hanty." And so, uh, he so, pre- he pitched that to yeah. the uh, to the creative department. So, creative sent him a list of character names, and one of them was, I think, Fang McFoon, Ice Dagger, Ice Dagger. Chili McFreeze. Yep. Uh, so they basically took the cold element of what he said and thought that was what he was meaning about for a name of his character. And so he was looking at this list, scratching his head, why don't these people get me? With his English wife, Jeannie, at the time, who was in wrestling herself, she'd made him a cup of tea and said, never mind that, drink your tea before it goes stone cold. Boom. <laughs> it's funny how it works, isn't yeah. it? Anyway, so that was that. It seems kind of pertinent today, Carl, the story of how he got himself over, or, you know, that name coming as it did and, and how he was. We're told that wrestlers are kind of discouraged from doing that today. Why do we think that is when it works so well for one of the biggest stars the company's ever produced? Uh, because when it doesn't work so well, you get characters who are just laws unto themselves. And you, I think they've been... When it doesn't go so well, you get WCW. <laughs> you get late-stage WCW. You get Glacier. You get... I don't know what they were doing in the last, like, two, three years. I watched a lot of uh, Thunder Nitro from the year 99 and 2000, and 
that is what happens when you give too many people creative control. <laughs> and of course, Anton, we're a couple of months out here from that that infamous Austin 316 promo uh, at King of the Ring. Uh, if anybody hasn't seen that, I'm sure there aren't many people listening to this who aren't aware of it. Tell us what that was and, and how it got him over to such an extent. So he effectively, well, he wins King of the Ring. And it's seen as a surprise at the time. And then it's just the first time we see Stone Cold Steve Austin and he cuts it and then it you know, cuts his promo and then then there's a Bible verse, John 3.16, isn't it? And then he says, but actually... Jake Austin, Roberts was rocking a, a Bible gimmick at the time right. who he beat. But actually, Austin 3.16 says, I just yep. whooped your ass. And First thing of all, you've got to get that piece of trash out of my ring. Yeah, exactly. Second phase of all, you can say your uh, Psalms and thump your Bibles, talk about John 3.16, Austin 3.16 said, I just whooped your ass. What he needs to do is go down to 7-Eleven, get a bottle of Thunderbird and restore some of his old pride. Wow. No, I won't keep going. <laughs> hey, well done, mate. Um, Carrie, you get the fun of explaining who Sabio Vega was. He was a kind of <laughs> workhorse wrestler who was knocking about for a while at this time. Yeah, so again, this is one of the ones I had to kind of um, look up on on the Wikipedias just to kind of fill in the backstory. And so he was leader of a stable, is that right? Did he he was, Los Bariquas. Yeah. I constantly confuse him with Dilo Brown, which says a lot about me. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, he was kind of rocking about um, in WWF for quite a long time under kind of various kind of gimmicks. Went off to um, TNA, I think, for a bit as well. So that was much more recent. So that's someone else who retired and decided to come back, but slightly <laughs> less celebrated. But, um, yeah, he was uh, Puerto Rican, and that was his character in WWF, as far as I can work out. Very much under the category of a good hand. Yes, somebody who reliable. Could, yeah, put it put in the ring and have a decent match. Um, somebody who doesn't come into that category. The Ultimate Warrior beats <laughs> Triple H. It lasts one minute and 39 seconds. Warrior no-sells the pedigree. Incredible, this. The, the crowd absolutely white-hot for this guy. Um, my first question, Axel, is Warrior the biggest prick in professional <laughs> wrestling history? I mean, I I'm mean, talking inside the ring, outside the ring. This is our first look at him in the ring. I think we need... You you to go through your list of grievances with Warrior. Okay, so he's a very, very hateful man who said some awful things about uh, Bobby Heenan, about the victims of Hurricane Katrina. You can go back to our episode where he was put into the Hall of Fame. We're going to that in some detail. But in terms of wrestling here, he just had no interest whatsoever in giving any offence at all to his opponent. He made him look really terrible, he being Triple H. Uh, Trips deserves some credit. Apparently he was told he'd be rewarded if he did this favour. But this goes against everything we know about what makes the business work, doesn't it? You, you, you're supposed to work in harmony with your opponent, not try and crush him. Completely agree. And Triple H, I think, was undefeated going into this <laughs> match as well. And then puts the pedigree on Warrior, who bounces straight back up. I don't understand how you can recover from that in the short term. I genuinely don't. I mean, he Warrior screws him completely screws him in this match this match is referenced in the self-destruction of the ultimate warrior documentary which is a two-hour documentary of everyone in wwe going the ultimate warrior was really good and then he was terrible bobby heenan is fantastic in that documentary you've never seen someone just bury a guy in the way heenan does um and right near the end you get very young triple h go yeah i came in i went to wrestlemania i did the job but like what the hell is ultimate warrior which is a pretty good summation of well, why bring him back in 1996? He was gone six months later, though, yeah. wasn't he? Mm. So, yeah. Why bring him back six years later from his biggest moment? He's not learned anything. Um, it is cool to see young Triple H. Young Triple H come to the ring with Sable as well, which is, I thought was 
Just like, oh, that's so weird. I would never put those two characters ever interacting. It's kind of Pride and Prejudice-esque kind of music as well. And yeah, like, a I've, snob from Greenwich, Connecticut, yeah, as he was. Yeah. I really, I really liked his entrance. I really liked his, the kind of detestable vibe he had and that sort of Cyril Sneer kind of, you know, <laughs> villainous way. I, I, you know, I was, I was in on it. And then he just, and then he just gets shafted. Cyril Sneer reference one for the teenagers there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, you can run with us, but. Uh, <laughs> Ultimate Warrior very much cannot. Why did some wrestling fans really like him? It's not like he was a good wrestler. Is it? Is was it just children we heard screaming and popping wildly when he came out? I think that's partly it. I think, in terms of kind of the cartoony, eighties kind of characters. I mean, he's up there, isn't he? You've, you've got your face paint. You've got the kind of bright colours. You've got the kind of the ring shaking thing. It's kind of very something that's easy to mimic. It's something that I think kids would respond to and i guess they were going for a nostalgia pop by bringing him back was it back uh, four years or after after they got rid of him first time round? and he was vince was clearly looking for something that's going to boost ratings which is obviously why he's also looking to pass the torch to sean at this point as well he's just throwing everything you can think of at it isn't he and this match led to the well the debut of Mark Miro as well. Yes, yeah. yes. So after the match, Todd Pettengill introduces wild man Mark Miro, who did an interview talking about being excited about entering the WWF. Hunter appears and bumps Miro midway through. Miro shoves him back. Uh, Hunter blames Sable, who, as Kyle said, was the woman he came to the ring with. Miro comes to her rescue, uh, rams Hunter into a, a metal garage door. And yeah, Miro and, and Sable go off together I mean I didn't know that any of this happened I was rather no, surprised I <laughs> no I, I was because I, I was really surprised because I only remember Miro in WWF as sort of you know the guy in the black and the so to see him wearing like a mustard suit and a and a and, a, and an earring and a mullet and just you know the wild I'm trying to just kind of create a character felt like on the spot the wild man um, and he very much felt like he was making it up on the spot as well didn't really know what to say just was waiting for the for the trips bump he had been Johnny B. Bad in uh, WCW before, hadn't he? Um, oh, next up, we're going to talk about a big man versus big man match, which wasn't as awful as I feared when the two chaps made their respective entrances. The Undertaker beat Diesel, a.k.a. Kevin Nash. Um, Carrie, it wasn't just punch kick it, kick, it was a lot of that, but it wasn't just that. Same, I quite enjoyed this. It wasn't as terrible as I thought it was going to be. I quite enjoyed Diesel. I don't understand what was happening there. Yeah, I had to question all the beliefs that I have in life after watching this match. So Big Sexy actually lived up to his moniker to some extent for you? I wouldn't say that, no. Um, (laughs) Somewhat attractive would have been more accurate. (laughs) All right, I suppose, (laughs) if you've been drinking. I don't know. (laughs) The five-pinter. Anton, you were shaking your head uh, in a way that I've not seen you do it before. Not having this. Because it was was just no sort of big man slugfest. And there were bear hugs, and this match seemed to go on for ages. And then there's like a second jackknife, and you're like, right, okay, fine. That's one of the most devastating moves in the company at the time. Just pin him, done. No, of course you don't. Diesel plays around with the crowd, and you're just like, oh, this is old-fashioned, snarky wrestling. Cause I, I, just, I, just, I didn't like it that as a kid, and I don't, don't like it now. Oh, you get the casting vote then. It is good, bad finish. So absolutely agree. Like Diesel fixes his eyes on you. Hello. Yeah. All right. I can see it. You're intensely charismatic. I can see why they cast you in Magic Mike 1 and 2 in the modern era because, you know, even though he can't dance. Um, yeah, absolutely great charisma. And just like, yeah, raise your eyebrows and do stuff. And it was impressive for what I was watching. 
because we are now in the the early Undertaker matches, so I'm not looking forward to these at all. So maybe that's why I was so pleasantly surprised because I wasn't expecting much from this. Did you get any feels on the sort of classic Taker, classic Paul Bearer that we've got? You know, the Taker outfit, Paul Bearer, all with his white makeup on in the end. Does that not make, make you feel all sentimental? Bearer. It's more to do with Bearer now because the Undertaker outfits are scattershot. He looks as if he's getting dressed in the dark, which... Of course he's getting dressed in the dark. He's the Undertaker. Why am I surprised at that? <laughs> <laughs> and does it make you feel better about it now that you understand the pun that is Paul Bearer? Did you know that Flowrider is a pun? Yes! Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right, well, last um, and kind of least, I guess, the British Bulldog Owen Hart and Vader with Jim Cornette defeated Ahmed Johnson, Jake Roberts and Yokozuna with Mr. Fuji. Um, were there enough people in this match and at ringside? He asked sarcastically, Anton. Uh... Yeah, well, it was just, it was carnage, wasn't it? But it was fun, it was all right. It was, you know, sort of silly way to start the event. I've got no problem with that. Vince is pumped going into this. He's shouting, He's he can't stop. It's, yeah. Um, I liked the Owen Hart British Bulldog music, mishmashy sort of, that was great. Um, some fun moves in it. Obviously, it lasts too long, but there's a Vader bomb, which is always nice to see. I know Carl probably got quite pumped about that so look it is what it was it was you know got you involved and there was jake the snake as well yeah um carrie you you're a, a jake the snake aficionado so tell some people who might not be too aware of him who he was what he was what he did okay how to summarize um so i the best way to describe jake the snake would be the master of psychological wrestling um, so if you're looking for a technician, he's not your man. If you're looking for storytelling and psyching people out and building a feud, he's definitely the one to watch. And he had an actual snake. Um, that's why it's called Jake the Snake. And yeah. Otherwise, he's just Jake Roberts. Otherwise, which he's just isn't Jake Roberts, and that's not scary. No. Um, he did a comeback. Did, he was at one of the special Raw episodes, and he did a did a bit with the Shield, Raw. and he put the uh, put the snake on Dean Ambrose, and Dean Ambrose is just laughing his little head off because he's so happy that he's in the ring with Jake Roberts. And so. Punk saying, "Careful, Jake, we're PG now," just because <laughs> they're a bit worried about what he's going to do. Um, Carl, um, people. May well have, but they might not have seen the resurrection of Jake the Snake, which you can watch on Netflix still, I believe. Um, how how did Jake come to be in that? Who helped him out? What, why did he need it? Jake the Snake is a drug addict, uh, dealt with substance abuse throughout his entire time in WWE and beyond into wider life. Um, in Beyond the Mat, uh, there's a notable section with Jake the Snake trying to connect with his daughter who is in college at the time. They have, they're estranged at the time, they have a meeting, doesn't really go well, Jake walks off, and then the narration says, the next time I saw Jake the Snake, he was in his hotel room doing crack. Um, Had a horrible childhood and upbringing, didn't he, kind of, as an explanation for it. His dad was a wrestler as well, Grizzly Smith, he was not a nice guy. Absolutely not. Um, very much on the verge of no longer being with us, and then DDP takes him into his home, introduces him to DDP yoga, um, helps him get sober helps him when jake falls off the wagon um jake the snake openly credits ddp for the reason he's alive and i think he's in the hall of fame now ddp inducted him didn't he yes um, uh, lovely speech lovely moment in the docker ddp saved scott hall and uh, jake the snake 
can't say enough good things about DDP. Yeah, and we've spoken a lot about Beyond the Map, but um, if, you, if you're a wrestling completist from around this time, you really need to watch it because it will fill in a lot of the blanks of what we're talking about. And we'll talk a bit more about Yokozuna in the next couple of episodes as well because he's an interesting character. One, one last thing on this, Anton. Jake's finisher was the DDT, which used to be a really feared move, and now it's something that happens three minutes into a Raw match before they cut to commercial. Why is that? I have no idea because it's someone being dropped on their head. I mean, I don't understand how that isn't painful. And the crowd are chatting about this DDT, DDT, DDT. It stands they- for Damien's Dinner Time. Damien being the Jake snake. snake. Uh, it's, something that's really cool is much like with Shawn Michaels now and the super kick. Yeah, it's just used as a transition move. But if Jake ever comes back and uses a DDT, you are out. And that was a, uh, it was like that sort of like a grandpa death. Sort of uh, all of you are trying to use this move properly. But when I use it, I use it properly because I invented it. Which is why it's horrible when you saw Cena go through that stage of using the springboard stunner. Oh, Matt's face. Oh, oh, that's real revulsion. <laughs> that guy, I thought there. we were beyond uh, the John Cena stuff. Oh, well, that was that then. Short show in terms of number of matches, if not the length of them. The last one in particular, of course. Carrie, how do you feel about it as a whole? I, I quite like this show. Yeah, I quite liked it. I, th- I think what kind of strikes me most is just how different the whole kind of structure of this WrestleMania is compared to what we're used to. We said about kind of an Iron Man match lasting sixty minutes on a on a pay per view like this, but also the other other matches aren't for belts. They're all kind of what, under under quarter of an hour mostly. Are they? Yeah, you sure? Much. I don't think there's anything over kind of oh, like feel, seventeen, eighteen minutes. <laughs> well, that, the longest other issue. one was sixteen. <laughs> well, the back the backlot brawl, depending on how you want to break that down, and the um, Taker versus Diesel were just over sixteen minutes. Yeah. They were the longest. Yeah, so it's a very different kind of WrestleMania to the ones we're kind of used to as modern fans. No, oh, I liked it. Entertaining, sports entertaining. Carla, how would you compare this Iron Man match with the one we saw this year at SummerSlam between Ziggler and Seth Rollins? <laughs> it's a different sport. It just um, some a term I will be using a lot more as we go through the part is uh, space wrestling, which is just wrestling, wrestling matches that take into account work rate and body parts look as if they're from the future. So far in the future that people have got space travel compared to what's going on around it. Um, yeah, Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler doing space wrestling compared to what this is. Anton, WrestleMania moment? Um, yeah, I, I can't necessarily agree with everything Harry said. It was, it's it's alright, it's fine. There are, there are older manias I prefer to this one. Um, and this kind of feels like the first really old mania, effectively. Um, WrestleMania moment, uh, I would say it's, I'd say it's Sean's crossbody from the top rope onto the uh, onto the floor, taken out, almost missing Bret Hart because he's, he's so agile. And you just think, yeah, like all of him, he's the guy. Carl? Bret Hart winking to the fan in the crowd, like, oh, hello, you've got charisma. <laughs> Carrie? Yeah, I was going to kind of go with the same kind of thing, but kind of as Bret walks out and he hasn't got his spectacular entrance, but there's still something compelling about him. And it's just me sitting there watching Bret with heart eyes like I always do. So, yeah, good. <laughs> I'm going to go with Roddy Piper phoning into the commentary team during the um, <laughs> the Austin Vega match just for the oh that and the so fact we got the WrestleMania song over the closing montage. Oh, I mean, WrestleMania. 
Yeah, this is our life, which it is for us in a way. Yeah, certainly, uh, on these days. <laughs> uh, Carrie, where can people keep up with you on the Twitter? On the Twitters at Carrie Sparkle and Carl Anchorman six one six and Anton at Sky Anton. We are at the PU Podcast. I am at MJDAFC. Next week, we're all off to Hartford, Connecticut. Very much a home game for the WWF. It's WrestleMania eleven, where the Fed went celebrity crazy. Lawrence Taylor versus Bam Bam Bigelow in the headline slot. Pamela Anderson on the arm of Diesel. Some bloke from NYPD Blue and King Kong Bundy. Thanks for listening. I've been Matt Davis-Adams. You've been in Parts Unknown. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.